Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, y'all. This is Welcome to the Other Side, and I am your happy host, Meg Gluckman, and I have a guest with me today, Rachel Clark, who is in Rochester, New York, and I have invited Rachel on to share with us her life after divorce story. This is something I do every few episodes. You've probably noticed that I have someone on to share their story. Other episodes are more with um, guest speakers or me talking about a particular topic that I think would be helpful to all the moms after divorce. But this is one of those special episodes where someone comes on to share their story. So Rachel, thank you so much for being on here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I am so excited that someone wants to hear my story. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> tell us, tell us first, who makes you a mom and what life is like a little bit for you right now? Yeah, sure. I've got two um, weirdly good looking sons. They are 12 and 14. Um, a and Z, I'll just say. Um, and what was the second question? And What's what's life like for you right now? Where are you living? You told us Rochester, but what what's home like? What's work like? Just a little bit. Yeah, so I'm in a really um, interesting chapter of my life. We um, moved a couple years ago into this um, sweet house that we're we're in. It's just me and the kids. Um, in terms of my what's life like for me now, I. I'm starting a new business. That's the most uh, unique part of my chapter in this moment. I launched, I left uh, corporate life last August and uh, have a startup that I'm building right now called Interconnected Us. So we are building um, masterminds for women lawyers. It's super exciting. That's so awesome. I love, there's so many times I've talked to women after divorce who go out and start their own businesses. And I think such a huge component of it is being able to have the flexibility that allows us to be with our kids when we have them and just kind of morph around the, the demands of being a single mom for a lot of the time. Oh, for sure. That that was not the primary driver or the only driver by a long shot, but that for sure was a contributing factor. I mean, in my corporate job right before making this change, um, I had an arrangement with a neighbor that we carpooled. Well, not we carpooled. They offered to drive my children to school every morning because they're more pandemic anxious. And so they were driving their kids every day and agreed to take mine. And because I was mandated to go into um, New York City for a work trip, I you know, screwed up some of the logistics of letting them know the kids were at my house for the day. They waited on my front, you know, in my driveway for five minutes waiting for kids who were at their father's and then fired me from, you know, no longer give, gave me, gave my kids rides to school, which created a, a lot of disturbance for me. And it was ultimately because I was, you know, being on some, I was owned, you know, my time was owned by someone else. And it was, it was not the straw that broke the camel's back, but it certainly is so much better to have control over my schedule. And I, I work more hours than I used to, but I'm extremely happy by the work and and um, control my schedule, which is priceless. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Talk yeah. to so many moms about that for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So let's let's go back in time, and I would love to hear from you, kind of the the story about what your life was like when you decided to get divorced and 
kind of the tale up to now. What was life like when I decided to get divorced? So I married a really uh, kind, good man who was a good dad. And um, I had a, I had a very good life. And so it took me a lot of the marriage to even utter the word divorce. Like I, there was a piece of me that it just wasn't, um, our relationship just wasn't meeting a, a core part of who I am. And I just, it took me almost the entire time to even wake up that, um, uh, that there was no amount of, you know, working on it, talking through therapy, et cetera, that was going to remedy that, that, you know, we were, we were flowers of two different, you know, two that need two different climates completely. And so, and it was just, it was heartbreaking to realize I was going to have to make a decision that, that could hurt someone I cared about and really loved. There was making the decision, but making the decision came in waves. It, it, I, I'm a, I used to be a people pleaser and it was extremely hard to come to terms that there was no way to do this, that it would be well taken or received warmly. I would not be viewed as, you know, not forget a hero, but even viewed respectfully, you know, maybe by the, my community, we live in a smaller community where, you know, we both grew up in a very tight knit part of the community that can be insular and, um, have a certain way of how life should be lived. And, um, I think part of it was the fear of repercussions. And part of it was, um, the, the, the word divorce was not utterable. Our parents are both married and there was in many senses, nothing wrong, except for the fact that I felt brokenhearted on the inside. And is that a good enough reason? And, uh, you know, I, as I approached my 40th birthday, there was a dawning awareness that, um, there, uh, that we were just fundamentally different. There was nothing wrong with me, but that I only get one life and that I deserve to live it fully. And that, that as, as kind and wonderful a person as he is, he, we're not each other's person. And there was components of me where that he, you know, he couldn't relate to. And I'm sure every relationship has that component. I'm just thinking of, you know, men I've dated and friends, like every relation, every human relationship has that component. But I mean, on a deep fundamental level that I, that I now know I need connection on. So uh, since then, so, so the realization in my head, I only uttered the D word extremely uh, late in the game, like right, you know, very shortly before the final divorce. And I, and I tried to kind of let him down easy or, you know, tell him that in a, the kindest, gentlest way. And, and he didn't want, he didn't want that. No one wants that. Um, so that was really difficult. It was very hard for me to come to terms with the fact that you're just going to have to speak much more directly to get this, to come to have a meeting of the minds, as we say <laughs> in law. Yeah. So after that was a really, really hard chapter it was one of the hardest chapters I've gone through. I expected that he and my former in-laws and, and family on his side would, you know, not, not embrace this with open arms at all. But also what I didn't expect was people on, you know, quote unquote, my side or people that are neutral to have such a strong reaction. That was really hard. And there's a lot, you know, God willing, I won't have to do it. You know, it's not something you want to go, you want to, you know, you wish for yourself again, but I, uh, I know a lot now that I didn't know then. And I couldn't have known. So it's okay. Like, you know, it's only our first go around. So true. What helped you during that time? 
there were a number of friends, not a lot, but a, but a small number of friends who really made me feel seen and applauded me for val- for prioritizing living authentically. Um, in particular, I mean, there's several in particulars, but I remember having a conversation with a good friend who's a lesbian and I was like, I hope it's not offensive to you, but I, I identify with the journey of coming out. Like I have not literally come out of the closet, literally come out of the closet. I mean, I have not come out as a gay woman. I'm not gay, but I, um, I can understand having, being afraid to step into who you authentically are and also the repercussions and the pain of that. And I can, I can relate to a lot of pieces here. And she was like, no, I totally, that analogy totally lands. Like that's not offensive at all. And like, yeah, you, you wanted to live more authentically. So the, the, the people in my life who validated that, like my drive, my inner drive to live authentically is a valid one. And it's, um, it's okay. Uh, not even okay. It's maybe admirable. I mean, admirable is a strong word, but that it's, it's a perfectly healthy thing to, to crave, uh, or to need and to protect, you know, that made me feel better because it, I, I felt, you know, I felt, um, my inner circle changed dramatically and rapidly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of self-awareness came from it. Yeah. Talk, talk a little, talk a little bit about that. What, what, if you can remember back, what were you thinking and feeling about yourself during that time? And, and how has that evolved? In the lead up to the divorce, I remember um, talking a lot with the therapist about courage and it wasn't just the courage to ask for the divorce, but the courage to get the career I wanted, the courage to seek friendships that landed, you know, that gave me what I needed and so on. And, and his advice at the time was to, I said, how, well, how do I develop courage? I feel like my, I feel so, uh, um, so fearful right now. And his advice was to start with small steps and just keep doing small, brave things. And then things that are a little bit braver and braver. And And actually we went on this family vacation, um, all inclusive resort and the weather was overcast and terrible and the beach had been ruined by a hurricane and it was kind of a disaster, but the, excuse me, the one thing that they had going that I really liked was I learned to surf machine called the flow rider. And so, and they played really good music. (laughs) And so I camped out at this thing the entire time not overtly trying to develop my courage, but it did build my courage. Like I, by the the very last day, I stayed on the surfboard on the machine for a full 20 seconds. And, um, and I have this picture. I was like, you know, kind of heavy at that time because I was emotionally eating as I was wrapping my head around some heavy stuff. And in this picture, I look like if my grandmother time warp, you know, if my like 1940s era grandma could time warp and be at a resort in Cancun on a flow rider, you know, that's what I look like. <laughs> and I'm like, I love I'm, the image. I'm like this middle-aged approaching 40 year old woman who's like, you know, working on her courage and her, and her surfing game. So you started building this courage and how did that evolve kind of your view of yourself? Well, you know, fear never goes away, but you get better at dealing with it. 
And so you get more tolerant of that experience in your body. And you also learn that it's not, it's not truth. The voice that you can't do something is not the voice of truth. It's just the voice of fear and, you know, dysfunction and, and trauma and all this. Um, and so the more you practice, um, like, Hey, I noticed that it's here. It's okay. I'm not going to beat myself up for having this fear. Um, but I have this, you know, growing body of experiences of doing things that are brave and, and cumulatively more and more brave. Um, or maybe not cumulatively, but increasingly more and more brave. Um, well, it accumulates in your body, this sense of confidence that like, okay, I'm really scared to start a business. And I'm just as smart as these women who have businesses. And I'm just as this and that. And like, you know, and I learned to surf and I had two babies and I, you know, learned to walk and speak and, you know, type and, you know, big things, small things like, you know, um, so you just, you, you start to learn to count your wins a lot more and how powerful that is and who you surround yourself with. That was another piece. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So the divorce, as I said, there was like a lot of, um, relationships that were impacted beyond, uh, my divorce, my children. Um, and you know, I, sometimes refer to that chapter. It's kind of a dark term, but I refer to it as a forest fire. And what I mean by that is it was an obliteration of a lot of what I knew to be true and a starting over. And the beautiful part after the forest fire is that the forest regenerates, you know, and after the forest fire, I mean, it was horrible to lose. Um, it was horrible to lose, especially in that it was unexpected to lose relationships I had really thought would be there. Um, something I did actually, that was, a, a like, a in retrospect, I tell, I, now I tell future women when they're divorcing to do this, if, if it lands, um, I kept a list of quotes. Like I had a pin board on Pinterest of quotes that inspired me. And I had a playlist on my phone of songs that uplifted me. And I would like, it was like a teen, I was like a teenager. Like the, this, the playlist was like my soundtrack for my divorce year. Um, or rather the first year of my divorce. Yeah, yeah. So the people, so after the forest fire, you get to rebuild, even if you're completely grieving the fact that there was a forest fire and that you're walking in ashes, um, you still, there's still, you have to rebuild. You have to get out of the house. You need people to be your community and to lean on. And, um, I no longer had to make decisions for who I surrounded myself with, for who worked for our fam, you know, for who worked for my partner, I, I now could just, who, who lands with me. And so what I learned was the women in particular that I like being friends with are either deeply introspective as I am, or deeply adventurous as I am, or both. <laughs> and so, you know, if they want to talk about, you know, what I call now idle chit chat, or they, <laughs> or they, uh, you know, want to stay in their comfort zone. Um, they're probably not going to become a great friend of mine. And that's okay. I don't mean it judgy or harsh. I just mean, it's really what I need. Um, I went on a date after my divorce, someone with a, a psychologist, and he said something that was so sweet and meaningful and made me feel very, very seen and validated. Um, he said there was a book out in child psychology called The Orchid and the Dandelion. The Dandelion and the Orchid, I don't know. Um, and the premise of the book is that there's some of us out there who are dandelions and who are extremely resilient and can survive in any environment. 
And there's some of us who are orchids and who need a particular environment. And in that particular environment, you know, they're gorgeous, gorgeous flowers and they're so special. And he was like, I'm a dandelion, Rachel, you're an orchid. And um, it really made me feel so seen. Like there's a very, I'm a, I'm a much more, I'm more, way more unique than I am common and the good and the bad. And um, there's particular environments that I really thrive in. And the divorce kind of ripped the lid off a lot of that uh, blindness. And so now I can really see like where I'm going to thrive. And so it's, it year over year gets easier and easier to build a life that aligns instead of um, swimming upstream constantly. Mm, I love that analogy so much. I love how much it resonates with you too. Like how you, you appreciate that about yourself now, you know, whereas perhaps long ago, pre-divorce, it was, it was a problem or it felt like a burden more. And now it's, you're spot on wonderful thing yeah that's exactly right so my my ex-husband is um a huge extrovert uh he's he's um happy in a much wider environment than I am um I'm much more granular (laughs) and it's okay there's certain there's certain advantages of that and I I don't want to you know come on here to you know whatever toot my own horn but there's there's pros and cons to everything and there's you know different ways that we all, you know, add to orchestra of, you know, of life. But, um, but I think during the marriage, there was a lot of times I was shaming myself. Why couldn't I be more like him? Why couldn't I like everyone? Why couldn't I be happy in a lot wider of an environment? Why did I get so upset about, um, you know, problems in our society or dinner party conversations or whatnot? I mean, it was, it was, uh, yeah. And in hindsight, it, you know, it, it, it echoes certain messages I grew up with about having a thick skin about, um, you know, certain parts of me that are, um, more unique that maybe, you know, I didn't always feel proud of and others, you know, others didn't, you know, always make me feel proud of. So I, I think there's a real, like during the divorce and even now, like I look at the image of a snake shedding its skin and it's like, I just <laughs> identify with lesbians and snakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we have to shed things. I don't know. I'm, I'm part of the pack guys. Like Eve, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, and what comes to mind for me is just circling back to you talking about having people pleasing tendencies in the past. And, and, you know, and we all have people pleasing tendencies all the time. There's a little bit of it all the time, but I had a guest on a couple episodes ago that focused entirely on talking about breaking free of people pleasing. And the biggest part of it is deciding that our wants and needs are valid. That hundred percent are as deserving as anyone else's. And I hear that in what you're talking about and coming into into your own, into creating the life that really nourishes you, nor- nourishes that orchid. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, um, I mean, just today I have a, a rather new friend who was, you know, it's just been complicated to, to get, get a phone call that lines up. And, um, she was asking me to give her an update over text. And I was like, you know, of how I'm doing and how my business is and so on. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really into that. Like if you want to, ha- you want to set up a time for, you know, a call, a zoom, a visit, you know, anything like I'm, I'm all in, but, um, I don't really want to do our friendship over text. 
And like the old me never would have, it wouldn't even have occurred to me to dictate what I want. It's a whole, your entire life changes when you're willing to take the steering wheel. And I didn't even, I mean, that was one of the quotes on the pin board, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a humongous paradigm shift and it's a humongous, uh, I don't know if I realized it during the post-divorce years, but I certainly am realizing it now, like in this chapter of my life, um, there's a valuing, there, there's a way I'm speaking to myself that's uh, much kinder and more affirming and encouraging than I missed that during the entire divorce. Like in the lead up to the, no, the whole life, including before the divorce, after the divorce and so on, there's, but there's something about this launching a business or being middle-aged or being post-divorce that um, I'm, I can't unsee now how unkind I've been internally. And I am, am working on that piece. And that is an extremely leveraged use of my time and attention because when I'm kinder to myself, it literally affects my physical health, my parenting, my career, my friendships, absolutely everything. Yeah. And it, it seems so, it seems so minor because it's, you know, invisible, <laughs> you know, how big is a thought, <laughs> but it, it is. It is, it is the butterfly wings that, you know, flaps in the forest and causes a hurricane on the other side of the world. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. Can you give us an example of where you notice it? Like where you notice catching yourself that you're not being kind to yourself. And then what do you do or what do you find uh -huh. yourself saying to yourself instead? Just last week, I was at a work conference and I'm, I'm doing all this work on, um, interrupting unhealthy thoughts in my head and uh, redirecting and, and regarding it with a, a, a kindness and an empathy, like, you know, hey, anxious voice, like go read a magazine on the couch. I've got this. And, you know, regarding uh, what I really need with, with kindness and love, like, okay, you need some rest. Like don't panic about the work that's not getting done or something like that. So I was at this work conference and I, uh, there was a closing reception and, and the following morning, there's a goodbye breakfast. And I meet a new friend at the closing reception. And the next morning at the goodbye breakfast, I am just obliterated. And in retrospect, I looked at my calendar. I had worked, I had been on for at least 12 hours a day, every single day of this conference. Because I was on so much, it was hard to sleep well at night. And also because I was on so much, I didn't exercise or leave the hotel at all and get fresh air. Um, which is so embarrassing to say that because I'm in the middle of doing all this self-care work and like, how did I let it go? But I felt such a compulsion to give every waking second to this business and to the relationships that I was able to build at this conference. And so by the goodbye breakfast, I was so dev, I was emotion, I was energetically flat and I was emotionally really hard on myself at first. I walked in and I was, um, like, it was like, you know, in a sarcastic way, I'm singing, oops, I did it again. Like, I can't believe I left it all on the court again. And um, the piece that's like, you know, I don't know if it's fate or something that I'm doing. This is, this did not begin with me. This is like kind of who you surround yourself with. And this happened by happenstance, but I don't know if it totally did. Um, you know, the way I roll is like, I share everything very openly. And I sit next to this brand new friend I'd made at the at the reception the night before. And I said, Randy, I am so upset with myself. I left it all on the court. Now I've got to drive home six hours. I'm exhausted. It's hard to sleep well. Like, why could I not 
leave the conference and take naps or just flip through a magazine. Why couldn't I say no to all these awesome dinner parties? <laughs> like, why did I have to do everything? I'm, I, you know, I'm not 20. And, um, and she said to me exactly the kind of voice I'm cultivating inside. She was like, you know, because you're learning. So the next conference, you're going to block off time and make sure that you protect nap time and exercise time. And you're going to say no to some of the invitations and, you know, you're going to dial it down. And, you know, this is your first, you know, big high powered conference as an entrepreneur and you're going to, it's okay. And like, kind of like what I was saying earlier, like it's only our first go round. And it was just, that's the, that's exactly, she was embodying exactly the type of inner talk that I'm constantly interrupting and correcting. And honestly, like even this week, there was something with the business that really got under my skin big time. And there was like, half a day or two thirds of a day that I was just completely off my game. And it was really interesting because it was the first time I could really sit there and like, okay, I'm feeling super ashamed at how I've mismanaged this piece of the, of my launch. And I can tolerate this. Like I can feel this feeling in my body. I can sit still. I'm not going to grind through it. I'm not going to distract myself with 20 million texts and phone calls and phone a friend. And I did call people because I needed support, but I did not make an art form out of it. And I paused and, you know, little yoga, little resting, some journaling and, and, you know, tomorrow's a new day kind of thing. And um, honestly, where something would have, you know, in the past could have spun out and been a problem for weeks or months or longer. Um, you know, by the next day I had my head on, right. And it was like, that's growth. Like that's, it's still work. And I, I don't know if it all, I don't know if I will always feel like it's as active a, a job as it is now, but I mean, I'm building new trails in my brain. It's really it's so cool. That's so awesome. It's a, it's a skill set, right? And the skill set. Yeah. I think the time between where we kind of get triggered and when we start taking care of our nervous system, right? That is the thing that keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking not that Mm -hmm. we're never going to get triggered. It's not that we're never going to feel anxiety or feel, um, you know, shame or whatever. It's just that we start recognizing it so much faster and then we start taking care of ourselves. Right. And what, what I hear you saying is like, I was in, I was in the shame for a little while and then I saw it and I started regulating my nervous system and I did the work to, to be there for myself. Yeah. It's a, this is a new chapter. I wish I, I wish these were, I mean, part of me is like, oh, I wish I learned these skills 25 years ago. My whole life would have been different, but, but also, you know, you can't, that's not how life works. I wouldn't have been interested in it 25 years ago because I wouldn't have had suffered anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we knew what we knew back then, right? That's right. That's right. This- that's right. So the more I wake up to myself, it's like, it's so, so empowering. It's so it's, it's bigger than empowering. I don't know. It's very healing. Yeah, it's very healing to realize that who you are, and you know, ironically, so many interests I'm cultivating and so on are not new. They're what I liked as a child. At some point, I was, you know, some things happened that, you know, I didn't become a recreational swimmer, for example, and now I'm swimming laps all the time because I wasn't good in the on the swim team, like because I just because the swim team is about achieving. And that wasn't the point of swimming. That wasn't what I liked about swimming. And so now it's like I swim for pleasure. And it's, um, 
It's also very meditative. Someone bought me these fancy uh, earbuds. I could hear, I could hear even a podcast during my laps. And it's like, no, that's what I want to hear. The I want to look at the bubbles and I want to feel how strong my body is. And I want to notice the sensation of the water and the light. And it's, it's a very meditative sensory experience while I'm getting exercise that's getting my excessive energy regulated. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was swimming laps a couple, this has, I don't know what this has to do with divorce, but I'll tell you the story. There was, there was a, an elderly, I, I don't swim at the um, JCC in town and there's a lot of elderly members. And I go during the day because I'm an entrepreneur and I can, I don't have to go when it's rush hour. So I go when I want to work break. And there's often elderly people there. And I'm always like, oh, I don't, you know, there's a part of me that's a little ageist. And I don't know if I want to share a lane with someone who's going to be going really slow or might not stay straight in their side of the lane. And yet there was a woman in the next lane I was kind of watching and she wasn't swimming laps to swim laps. She was swimming laps. She was swimming in the pool to enjoy the pool. And she was diving down. Like this woman was like 85 probably. And she's diving down 20 feet under the water and just kind of, doing things a little child would do and just so luxuriating in the water. Like I was, it was like, I was watching a, a sea lion maybe like it was just so playful and organic. And like, you know, afterwards I was like, I just have to tell you how moving it was for me to watch you swim. And she was like, thank you for speaking to me. I'm a new member and I don't know anyone. And I really appreciate it. What's your name? And it was like, it was so wonderful. <laughs> it's just like this little moment at the, JCC pool. And I just, yeah, I was exactly like, I was just so, I don't know what this has to do with the divorce, but it kind of feels like it does. I don't know. I'm stepping into like, there, there's no, I don't know. It's, I don't mean it at all. Have anything to do with my, obviously this has nothing to do with my ex, but in terms of living an authentic life and stepping into like, what gives me like real pleasure, like the fact that I'm at the pool, the fact that I'm not pressuring myself to be productive with the time, not pressuring myself even to get an efficient workout every time, sometimes, but not always. And then I'm like, you know, just making friends and like more relaxed. Like it's just, it was like such, I don't know. It's just a new way. It's a new way of being. Honestly, I was yeah. so um, producing constantly, you know, and now I feel like I'm living a lot more. I love that so much because I, that's what I want to give other women who are going through their divorce or who are newly out and still feel like they're struggling. Like this is what's possible, right? That you can feel this much ease in your life. And I love how you tell, you're telling us the full picture here, right? There's, there's anxiety, there's shame, there's frustration, there's exhaustion. There's, there's all the pieces and there's all this ease and enjoyment. And and love that's just like all part of it. It's all possible. It's all possible. Yes. Thank you. And it's, I think I'm able to communicate that to my children, to my friends and my community in this much more authentic way. I mean, I feel like I'm not kind of towing a party line about the right way to live and embodying this kind of formulaic uh, existence that to me was not resonating internally. And now it's much more like, yeah, I, you know, I meditate at the Zen center and that might be weird to you. And that's your thing. And like, that's okay. I got, you know, I have these great friends there now. And, um, I, you know, I grew up with two parents that hate, that hate camping and I love camping. 
And, um, I don't know, just stepping, just owning all of it. Like now I have a, you know, growing clutch of girlfriends who love camping and maybe (laughs) one day men will join us. Who knows, but (laughs) anything could happen. Um, I don't know. It's just such a pleasure. That's, that's it. Right. And I, I love it too. And I don't know if this resonates with you, but the life that I have right now and all the joy, all the pleasure that's part of it. I did not see that when I was going through my divorce. I did not Mm -hmm. see that even a year outside of my divorce, right? It, it wasn't even in my purview, like in, in my realm of dreaming. Right. And so that's why I so appreciate you sharing your story and other people sharing their story, because we almost need to hear it from other, other women that have gone through it, that something like this is possible because when you're in the midst of it and you're going through kind of the untangling and the deconstruction in order to, you know, build up the new life that you have, you can't fully imagine all that's possible. That's right. Exactly. You haven't lived it yet. Yeah. And you don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I could go long on all of these experiences that happened afterwards because I was courageous to ask for it. And that courage, you know, is not a light switch. It's not a binary thing. It's a, it's a step-by-step willingness Mm -hmm. to say that you're worth it. Mm. It's really, it's really hard. It's so hard. You know, it's, it's a tricky thing. Who you surround yourself is, is, is everything, you know, surrounding yourself, who you surround yourself by is extremely impactful, but you choose who you surround yourself. You know, you choose if you're going to walk in the room, stay in the room, find a new room. That's, that's on you. And so it doesn't, you know, if you're anyone in your pre-existing life is unhelpful, um, you can give them less hours on the, on your schedule, or you can, you know, you know, have certain ways that you're, yeah, you you choose who, who gets your time. Your time is very valuable. It's your life. Yeah. I think that's, that's a nugget of wisdom right there. Yeah. I appreciate you. that. This is so affirming. <laughs> you should talk to my teenagers. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Rachel. I feel like we could talk for many hours about all of this. And I have really loved you sharing your perspective. I would love to end by inviting you to take a look at my Chill Moms Manifesto which I've shared with the podcast before, but it's um, seven statements that I find that most moms who go through divorce and are living their best life afterwards, that that these are kind of intangibles that they they hold within them. And I'm curious if there's one of these seven statements that resonates most with you right now or really resonates with you like at some point along the path that you want to share? Yeah. Thank you for pulling this together. I'm, I think this is genius. And, uh, if I get your blessing, I'm going to post this in a big Facebook, Facebook group I'm in. Um, I just think it's fantastic. Um, so when I read through them, your final statement really resonated with me, which is I take responsibility for my health and make sure I have rest and pleasure in my life. Um, that has been a very, uh, challenging shift for me. Um, you know, I always cared about my health in terms of my certain parts of my health. I guess I would say like my diet and mental health, but, um, I'm now zooming out and seeing my, everything is a subset of my mental health. And, um, uh, 
really understanding intellectually, but also like in other ways, um, the connection between mind and body and the, the way that, um, you know, as the, as they say in the book title, the body keeps the score, you know, that, that, that some pains we've gone through can be stored in the body. And so, um, another way I can express, uh, I can, I can, when I take care of myself, it, it allows me to show up differently for everyone around me. And I knew that intellectually, but you know, my therapist made a comment about a year ago that and in the intervening in this past year, just now, years after my divorce, I'm finally really fixing it. She said, you're, you're weaponizing self-care. What the hell does that mean? Weaponizing self-care means I learned the hard way. It's exactly what I was doing. She's very smart. Um, I was taking all of the things I quote unquote should do and shooting on myself. You know, you should do this. You should be exercising more. You should be meditating regularly. You should be eating vegetables. You should be maybe not drinking coffee. You know, you should be, should be, should be. And while it's an admirable list, it just became another way to shame myself, which is not to say those things are not valuable. They are extremely valuable. But the way you talk to yourself yet again is where the entire waterfall begins. And so like this week, I can tell you, Meg, that, you know, I've swam twice and I've walked twice. And one of those swims and one of those walks were significantly less than what I wanted to do. Not because I'm, you know, the little old lady who lived in a shoe, you know, because I am so harried as a single mom and entrepreneur, although I am sometimes, but it was more just like, hey, you can't do it all let's be relaxed about this. Like as long as you get to the gym at all, that's great. If you swim just for 20 minutes instead of 45, that's still great. And if you enjoy it and go slower, that's great. And like anything is just being so much kinder to myself. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think the entire journey since the divorce on is much more, I wouldn't just say allowing myself to have pleasure, but to really understand in this deeper and deeper way that, um, not just that I deserve it, but that, um, it is why I'm here. Like it is, it is, it is like, it's not just a luxury or a treat. It's like part of why we're alive. And it, that doesn't have to mean, you know, buying expensive things or traveling in this, in this, you know, elaborate way. I have my coffee on the front stoop. And I listen, I mean, in the crack of dawn, I'm an early riser. So I sit in on my front stoop in my bathrobe. It's super unglamorous. The dog's going pee. I'm, you know, it's early. And I'm listening to the birds chirp. Honestly, I'm watching how my dog smells the morning scent. And it's like, it's so simple. But that's an example of like really cheap pleasure. <laughs> like I'm just... It, I'm experiencing being in the moment instead of that constant to-do list, anxious production production thing that I have uh, spent very little time not knowing. You know, I got so habituated into that, and so the divorce was part of how I got to this point. And I'm excited to see how much further I'll go with this kind of work. So I'm like, I'm I'm definitely like, pedal to the floor on it. Like, yeah, give me more. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's just, you know, when people talk about their international trips, I think like, Hey, that's cool. You know, I, I'm not against travel, but I also like, I'm just finding pleasure in smaller and smaller places. And it makes me feel very, very rich. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. 
I think so many women listening are going to just find this so inspiring. And I appreciate how you really broke down things into the the small pieces, you know, that it's not about this big, broad stroke that suddenly we're like all healed from our divorce and we're all happy and everything's going well, but it's this incremental way. And it's all possible. It's possible to have a life you love. It's possible to love yourself in this new life. And I think having having stories like yours be shared is so powerful. Humans love stories, right? So this this is the way that we can connect. And I appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to share so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for caring and for helping others. And thank you for um just giving me this opportunity to take an experience that, you know, many would just label as lemon lemons. And I can say it can become lemonade, you know? Yeah. And uh just thank you for what you're doing. I I did not know that you're your um your your offering that divorce coaching existed. I had prayed for it and wanted it so badly and certainly was acknowledging that I needed something beyond legal support. And um I'm just really ad- admiring of the work you're doing and I hope the whole world knows about it. Yeah. I hope we get to go camping one day. <laughs> all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening in. And I'll put Rachel's contact info in our show notes in case you want to follow up with her and learn more about what she does in the world. Thank you all. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you would like more support in your life post-divorce or around co-parenting or around dating after divorce, I encourage you to hop over to my website and check out the resources that I have there. I have a really awesome class called Fearless Co-Parenting that you can download. It's 45 minutes long and it is chuck full of tips and techniques and mindset work that you can apply to your co-parenting relationship today for things to start feeling easier. I also have a dating after divorce quiz. This will give you a chance to see, am I ready to start dating again? It's seven questions that you can easily answer in just a few minutes that will really pinpoint if you have everything aligned that you want to have aligned before you start dating. And finally, if you want one-on-one support, I have a summer special coaching package opportunity for you. It is six sessions of one-on-one private coaching support to help work on getting over your divorce, co-parenting struggles, or even dating after divorce. Hop on over to my website, meggluckman.com and check out all those great resources. Thanks, y'all.